0: Bad leaders are everyone's worst nightmare, giving you the ultimate
1: playbook to lead, inspire, and grow your team. Better tech leadership powered by Brain Hub.
0: So thank you for finding time. I know that this is really difficult in your business, working in m as doing the exits. It's a lot of meeting, a lot of pressure, a lot of time spending with the clients on the buyer and and selling side. Um, you have pretty good um background i would say like uh, i read that you have uh in, were involved in more than 60 transactions with a overall value of above like 35 billions of euro which is huge um and what is the most interesting part for me you are you are involved mostly in a in, or a, mostly in a technology kind of sector which is my which is my point of interest so currently um you are focused on TMT, so technology, media and telecom area at Saxon Hammond, and I'm eager to hear more like, are those industries somehow related to each other, therefore you connected this in one basket, or how, why, why, why is it so?
1: Yeah, first of all, thank you. I'm really flattered. Um, but <laughs> uh, it adds up when you when you work a long time in the industry. I I started out uh, 18 years ago, right, uh, in banking. At that time, um, at the then very renowned place, uh, Credit Suisse first Boston. We were focusing a lot on on tech transactions at that time. Uh, then worked at Jefferies um, and uh, BNP Paribas. Uh, spent around eight years down in London, which I really enjoyed. And uh, yeah, and then for for personal family reasons and so on, family is here from Munich. I came back around six years ago to to my native Munich. That's why welcome, always happy. Um, It's really uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, uh, only later my career. I really um, had the opportunity to work in Munich because uh, when you look back in Munich and I grew up here, could have probably made a lot more money um uh, if i had just invested in real estate and uh, just went surfing on the easer would have been probably a bit easier uh, than uh, all this uh, hard work in m&a and corporate finance but uh, it developed very nicely and now it's really um, a hub of as you said um, uh, of technology companies and a lot of um, investors also here in the space. And yeah, as you said rightly, Maximilianstrasse, uh, where we are. I mean, a lot of investors are just nearby, so it's very, it's very nice. Yeah. And then uh, around four years ago, uh, Christian, who's the founder of our boutique, he came to me and said, "Hey, we want to open like a tech practice. Do you want to, do you want to build it up?" And uh, I thought it's a, it a great opportunity in a in a company where they basically are a lot focused on more the German traditional mid market, right? I mean. Sometimes people who don't want to be a bit me call it a bit boring, but the German Mittelstand, I mean, these are like combustion engines, real estate, industrial companies, and heart of Germany. That's a bit the stuff um, that the that, that colleagues are often working on, um, and these I think uh, are super interesting things. But it is a bit um, different when you work with technology and younger companies and growth companies, especially and for that reason we basically said look um, let's open a munich office and a small london office and um, let's focus have a team focus purely on these kind of transactions and yeah uh, tmt i mean as you already mentioned i mean it's it's it's, it's a big sector right tmt and the t technology and media uh, telecommunications right i mean how it's it's at the end i mean it's a sector where you have a lot of um, uh, it's a growing, it's a growing sector. That's already great. You know, some, some parts, for example, in the automotive industry, unfortunately, they are shrinking. TMT, there's always something going on, uh, either telecoms or the technology part. So it's a pretty wide sector. My title is head of technology, we're, so we're focusing mostly on the on the first T. Nevertheless, there's there's lots of stuff happening. I mean, there's lots of innovation as well in the sector, as you know. I mean, here you see the podcast. And also um, with with companies who are are coming out of nowhere and suddenly shaking up industries, established players. There's always something going on. It's also a sector where a lot of younger people work. It's not as established as like when you look at old Germany, when you look 20 years back. um, You had the Siemens, you had the the Bayer, the Höchst, whatever it was, you know, this old Germany. Now you have a lot of companies um, that you haven't probably heard of three years ago. And suddenly they, they raise... Hundreds of millions, and uh, soon to IPO uh, on Nasdaq or be it Euronext or Deutsche Börse. So it's it's quite a it's quite an interesting uh, sector from that uh, perspective. Also in this sector, I mean, there's a lot of impact, right? I mean, the products. When you look at the products uh, that that are basically done in technology. It's something that everybody uses. I mean, we both have, obviously, iPhones, uh, as is nearly everybody, is, except people who use Samsung phones. Um, but I mean, nowadays, I mean, it's not like you hail a cab anymore. You go on, you're on your app, uh, check in the flight, book hotel. So, and this will be more and more now with uh, technologies. And I think we're going to talk later about that uh, emerging technologies that are coming out of all this. Uh, there's always um, a huge impact in our daily lives and uh, about billions of people. Um, and obviously the economic significance. We talked about uh, at the beginning about uh, Munich. I mean, it's not only Munich. I think it's many many cities. Uh, when you look at Berlin, thirty years ago, when I when I studied there twenty years ago, uh, it used to be a very cheap city. Now it's a very expensive city, and there's a lot of stuff going on. A lot of startups. Um, a lot of change, uh, and a lot of young companies and a lot of entrepreneurial energy. And it's just an economic significance, which is um, more and more valued also by by the states. And uh, they try to have an ecosystem where stuff uh, works. So that's why I think the, the TNT um, industry is so so interesting. I mean, it's basically yeah, a bit related in the sense that um, technology, right? What what uh, what we're mostly focusing on, obviously, is um. Model development and production of technology products and services, right? Hardware, software, and especially now, big sector, cloud computing, yeah? And um, media, I mean, media as a podcast, we're doing media right now, right? All forms of content creation, uh, news, entertainment, advertising. So it's a big thing. And uh, telecommunications, obviously, is the infrastructure behind all that that basically helps the media um, via the technology to go to the end customer. So that's how how they're all a bit interdependent. And that's why it actually makes sense to to have it in one sector. But TMT is basically what it was always called back in the '90s when you had the uh, Deutsche Telekom go public. Then you had the TMT uh, departments. Now it's mostly technology. Sounds same thing, just sounds more fancy.
0: Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Thanks, uh, thanks for the detailed explanation. Uh, now I understand a bit better. Uh, right. And you mention uh, your role as a head of technology, I am uh, wondering. What are your responsibilities uh, related to the, to this role? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, probably let me quickly explain our setup. I mean, we're basically, our firm, we're basically around 35, 40 people in total. Head office, as mentioned, is, is Berlin. Then we have a Frankfurt office and a Munich and a small London office. I'm leading the Munich and London offices. Uh, Our team um, here focuses on technology and and growth companies around 10 people in total. We work a lot across the different offices together with the Berlin guys, with the Frankfurt guys. Nowadays, it's easy, right? You have a team chat. You're always reachable. You can, um, used to be Slack, now it's Teams, really. Uh, You can always hop on a call. People call you all the time on Teams, whatever. So it works very well across the offices. And my job is basically to find opportunities in the technology sector to work with relevant companies on the M&A or fundraising side, so meaning that you are a very successful facial recognition company, or basically been around since 20 years. People want to retire. We recently had that case. They they say, okay, we want to we want to now make make partly retire. Some people say, okay, we want a different challenge. Then it's our aim to sell that company and basically um, prepare the company the documents, prepare data rooms. Uh, prepare, prepare financial models and prepare the company just to be ready to be looked at by investors and then find the relevant investors or buyers. In that case, we sold it to a, to a strategic in, in Spain um, who do access management in gyms and airports and so on. So a very complementary. And for us, it's also important to find the best match for the company, not only the price, but also do these guys want to keep the employees? What is their plan with them? Obviously, you have different agendas, right? When you have strategic buyers, they are often a bit more natural uh, to, to a couple of startups because strategics are often there to bit more respect for the people. Often, financial buyers can also uh, be the case, but sometimes you also have financial buyers who are just, as they have to make a return and they're not from the industry, they, they look a bit different at, at some things and, and challenge a bit more the status quo and tend to, tend to be a bit more focused on sometimes cost cutting and so on. So, our job really is to, to find money, be it for um, minority positions, which we then call a capital increase. Um, or uh, fundraising, or uh, just sell companies in total, and I'm helped to oversee this team of around 10 people really focused on, on tech and growth companies in the wider sense, yeah.
0: Okay, thanks. Um, and regarding all the stuff that is uh, happening around the technology, are there any particular subsectors uh in the tech that are Interested, uh, interesting for you and you see that they have changed over the last years any trends that you see here?
1: That's a really good question and I mean the point is really we talk a lot to, to different investors um, because as you said I mean we are here very close to, to the heart of the investor community also in Berlin there's lots also in Frankfurt and we have a lot of update calls with these guys and they ask us about do you have a company in this, this space so we get a bit the sense right at the end technology Um, M&A is a bit like fashion, right? Sometimes people want like red color, they want green color, they want short skirts, they want long skirts. I can only tell you what's the fashion at the moment. It shifted very quickly. Um, It used to be a lot of e-commerce, for example, happening during the pandemic, right? E-commerce was one of the sectors that were super profiting from people staying at home. And that's why we also had a lot of supply chain problems. So also another thing was supply chain software, which was really much in favor. Uh, Right now, I mean, it's it's, it's changing again. And uh, what we really see and uh, what's a big th- thing um, um, currently with all of these discussion, And we we qu- quickly checked on it, like artificial intelligence, right? I mean, ChatGPT, that's a that's a big move now. Google is coming into that as well in this game, and I think that could be the really the breakthrough moment of um, for artificial intelligence. It used to be around for a very long time, but a lot of companies were trying it, but not really with success. And now you see really companies which are on the breakthrough. Which we basically recently worked with a. International company called uh, Kio Technologies uh, in the UK, and we had a, a Boston fund investing there called Wave Equity, and they're basically uh, focused um, on artificial intelligence, sustainability, supporting um, energy um, savings inside companies, especially in t- energy-intensive industries. So. I think the idea to basically use artificial intelligence and combine it with, with good things like which are making an impact uh, on an ESG level for, for the environment and the climate. And so that's obviously that's obviously great. And I think there's more to come when you look at the power of things like JetGPT. People people first like the power, but then they're a bit worried if they still have a job in three years if that continues. So let's see. That's definitely the big theme. And investors are very open to companies in that segment. Another thing obviously that has to do with also the conflict in, in the Ukraine uh, cybersecurity. You you probably heard that. I mean, at some stage, Lufthansa there was a complete blockage for some reason. No one knows what it was. Was a you know I don't know. But uh, at the end, cybersecurity people want to be protected. Is uh, are the accounts safe? Uh, is, uh, is my data safe? Can anybody access everything? What we're chatting here on Teams for the competitive cybersecurity is becoming more and more important. And um, that's something where there's a lot of interesting companies. We're currently working, for example, on a buy site um, uh, in Israel. And um, yeah, it's just a a very interesting sector where there's a lot of high-quality companies. But yeah, valuations tend to be uh, high very quickly. Another sector is is cloud computing. Cloud computing uh, is something that that also came up recently. Before you had uh, everything on site, now with cloud computing in the most recent years, Um, it's just a huge demand for cloud infrastructure and services. And it's just like, it's a huge sector for investors. uh, We have very predictable revenues, very, very thriving. And there's a lot of companies who focus on that, where private equity and and, and investors in general are looking very closely. In general, I mean, I now touch touch a lot on on these things. Uh, One other sector, which I just quickly want to mention, is also this, this whole impact investing became more and more important. I already mentioned ESG. I think there has a positive impact on society and the environment. People really appreciate these days. It used to be like 20 years ago, people didn't care so much, probably a bit. But now everything has to be really ESG-focused in order to yeah, resonate with younger people, especially. When you think about Fridays for Future and stuff, and it's very important uh, for a lot of people. So energy transition, everything has to do also. People appreciate energy a bit more. Before it used to be, okay, it's coming out of somewhere. We don't know where exactly it's coming from, but it's there and it's cheap. But now it, there's a lot of like discussions around um, newer companies we recently worked for example with a uh, with Vega tech which is a company that we raised 10 million from a strategic investor from Gotha it's an insurance company here in Germany and these guys are basically a one stop shop for solar on your roof meaning that you you have a house and you say hey i want to i need like a, i want to be energy um, um, self-sufficient. You basically they organize that you have these solar roofs on your on your house and then uh, can save energy and probably even distribute it to your neighbors. Yeah. And also we recently, that is a while ago already, two years, uh, we worked with NextWave. It's a company which basically you know in Germany the waivers used to be produced here and now it is all shifted to Asia, which is a big of a concern. And uh, here with Fraunhofer Institute they have this company where they basically said hey we, we're gonna create more efficient waivers by that having more energy that we can create uh, with, with the same with the same surface. And that's Next Wave, very interesting company. Saudi Aramco is one of the shareholders there uh, who also brought us into this transaction. Very interesting. Another thing that we're currently working on is also a hydrogen company. That's a big theme. There's a lot of stuff uh, going on in the sector. You just need to find the right companies. In general, what we see in this uh, current climate, which is obviously not an easy one with all the turmoil that's going on there, you see clearly a focus on investors more on... Uh, in, in investing more in established companies, right? Proven business models and, and recurring revenue streams—that's what people like these days. And it's just be getting a bit more conservative. And instead of like basically saying um, we just focus our, all our money on some e-commerce business that was that was pro- probably good the last couple of years, still still going. We recently sold a company for beauty products. It's soon going to be announced, very successful company that's still going. But all of these guys. Um, they have a bit of a problem that the demand has basically slowed a bit down. So I think what we're seeing right now in the market is just a bit more focused, a bit more mature look at uh, technology companies. And it's, I think it's these days it's very hard to just on the basis of a PowerPoint to raise 10 million, but probably was a couple of years ago, uh, probably still possible.
0: Uh, you, you mentioned a really good uh, point, of course, despite all the trends, which are really interesting. But I have one question that I wanted to ask you a bit later on but I think now it's a good time to ask it. Um, so the recent like 10 years the capital was and the money was pretty cheap and we saw like plenty of, maybe even 20 years, because we saw plenty of startups uh, burning cash like crazy, like uh, Uber or the Fudora, and they were, uh, the, the Rocket Internet, they, they, they put a lot of money into those startups and they failed fast sometimes or they uh, somehow said they have a success, but at this point where where we entered the the recession and the capital is um, pretty pretty expensive, um, I am just wondering uh, how this changed the outlook for you know, in, investors. I mean, it's super difficult to start a company like Foodora or Uber today because nobody wants to give money on that, right? They are really, uh, you really consume yeah. a lot of uh, capital. Unless it's
1: in the artificial intelligence field, uh, probably, but,
0: exactly. <laughs>
1: but uh, nevertheless, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, look, I mean, I think what we saw also with the, obviously, I mean, I think what people also, I mean, um, uh, I'm over 40 already, unfortunately, but that also gives you the uh, advantage of looking back and seeing all these trends and you clearly see that uh, the last 20 years, uh, there were a lot of ups and downs, but I mean, someone who's a bit younger, they, they've often only seen like a, a trend uh, going upwards, uh, cheap money, low interest rates. I think what we're seeing right now is a bit of a normalization in the sense of interest rates, which on, in turn obviously creates a lot of um, yeah dif- difficulties for more established players, even banks. But on the other hand, you see that investors shying a bit away from, from um, basically debt-heavy companies where profitability is far, far out. I think right now investors, what we're seeing and what, when we talk to them and when we see, when we, when we come to a proposal of companies to them, you see clearly that they're more risk averse and they really prioritize sustainable business models. Yeah, and I mean, the, even during the pandemic that has a bit accelerated because the pandemic was not an easy time for many companies. And it was a bit of a washout in the sense, obviously people got a of state aid here in Germany and Europe in general, but it was a bit of a washout of having only like strong balance sheet companies being there to weather the storm and just to a better position. And right now, it's a continued focus on profitability and a clear path to profitability. Because right now, in this environment, investors are just seeking to minimize the risk. Because obviously, the alternative is just, especially in the US, where, where interest rates are still higher. You just put your money on a bank account and it grows automatically. So they want to minimize risk by still maximize returns. So that's not sort of an easy thing. So definitely a bit of a shift from a negative interest rate scenario, I mean, there was a time, let's not forget this, where people had to pay once they had a lot of money, and there's a lot of people having a lot of money on their accounts, and they were just, like, happy to put it anywhere. Now they say, hey, just leave it on my account, and it grows nicely with 5% per year, which is a lot of money still. <laughs> for, um, and basically, I think what we see currently is investors are looking for recurring revenues, and because interest rate got more and more expensive, it's just important that you have uh, also the means out of the cash flow of the company to finance these interest rates. And a couple of typical same factors which are still consistent. You just need a large and growing customer base, competitive advantage, right? And I think it needs to be something in a long-term trend, right? As I mentioned, I mentioned artificial intelligence many times, machine learning, Internet of Things. These are kind of the things that investors are currently looking for. Just a couple of sectors which which are really in focus right now. So as you mentioned, Fedora and, and Uber, I think these typical B2C businesses, there's a bit of a downer, but nevertheless, I mean, these companies are still there. And uh, if you're big enough, um, you will also still get your funding. But it's very hard for younger companies to, to still compete in that market, yeah.
0: makes sense. And like from your perspective, like uh, as a uh, Saxon hammer, mm-hmm. um, conducting the MA process or the due diligence of the technology company it must be super difficult thing um, and those topics uh, especially from the technology perspective are very difficult because the financial, the financials or the legal part let's say it's something that from the sector to sector could be um, Kind of structurized, in a structurized approach you already know how to do it but from the technology side i'm just wondering like your approach to how do you evaluate those companies how do you check the technology is it on a buyer's side more or do you have a partner who is dealing with that or what like how, how do you yeah
1: that's a that's a good point look i mean the beauty of our business is we see a lot of companies and we basically we talk to a lot of companies and for us i mean the more you see I don't want to say you get immune but i mean you see a lot of like people talking a lot and without any substance and it's very hard for us uh, obviously it's a very tricky and it's most one of the most important things to choose the right companies we want to work with and it's super important that we have a good view if that's a company that we want to work with where we see that we can raise money from for investors that we can sell this company and the quality of the company is just in general high i mean what we do and sometimes we work with senior advisors we have a big stack of senior advisors that we work with uh, that we bring in it's super specialized but i mean we're a technology team so we know our ins and outs a bit in the sector so we look very closely first of all of the technology stack right we see um, we evaluate the technology um, of that company we see how the products and services are built and what technologies are really used there so we look at the software development process the programming languages uh, and the development tools and the infrastructure are these guys just, guys just using third-party Stuff uh, developing their own. What, what is the technology behind this? Is it A high quality CTO, you know, is it a part time guy who doesn't. You you know realize very quickly if these guys are serious or it's just like basically a couple of business guys who want to be tech bank, uh, tech tech entrepreneurs. But nevertheless, I mean, it can also work. But uh, we we look like that's one of the factors we look at. Also intellectual property, right? I mean, you can have a very nice product, but if it's not protected, that's super crucial that you have like the relevant uh, IP protections in place. And also patents, trademark, and copyrights uh, that can also um, also identify that you identify potential legal risks very quickly. Uh, also, that when you, when you want to sell a company, you acquire, especially on the strategic side, they they look very closely and say, "What what is actually protected here? And what are we buying?" Yeah, because no one wants to buy anything that with uh, that you can actually re- easily replicate. And everybody knows that with a, with a lot of money and a lot of time, you can probably replicate nearly <laughs> everything. But nevertheless, that's one of the factors, also the team, right? Team, we look at, uh, can people present? I mean, how are they uh, uh, together? Is it a a complementary team? Is it a a diverse team? Do they they have uh, good company leadership development, uh, key personnel and stuff? That's super important because we work very intensively with these guys. And we want to work with people that we like because life is too short to work with people um, that we don't like, and luckily in our position uh, we can really choose who we work with, and we we only work with people where we're really convinced and who we really want to help. And normally projects they take a take a long time, uh, sometimes up to like nine months, sometimes shorter three six months. But we only work with people who say, hey, I'm not getting a, head attack, a heart attack or a headache when someone calls me on the phone. So. You know, I mean, you know, Germany, there's a lot of uh, tricky people around often. Nevertheless, financials are also, I think, a very important factor. You mentioned financials. It's not the only criteria, but the financial health of the company, um, the revenues, uh, how the expense and profitability, that's super important. It also drives down into valuation. We need a certain tra- uh, valuation in order to 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 um, make our services worthwhile. It needs to be a company which is at least worth 15, 20 million uh, when we want to sell it, or the transaction size needs to be at least uh, this this amount, and so we look very closely if if that's the case, especially in that in the growth and VC area, valuations often a bit more an art than a science because a lot of uh, the revenues and the, and the profitability will only come later. So it's very important to to judge that. That's why the market opportunity in general, what kind of market opportunity is there? You mentioned Foodora and Uber, right? I mean, both things with a huge market opportunity. That's why they also were able to raise these amounts of money because when you look at the potential growth opportunity, it was actually what a company can achieve, it's super important. That's why energy transition, for example, I mean, there's huge growth opportunities still, renewable energy, and so there's lots of stuff still to be done. That's why the future revenue growth um, is super important, especially for investors. So we look very, very similarly as um, as an investor would. Also, I mean, coming back again to to cybersecurity is, is the company protected enough against like fallouts? I mean, if you have one thing that falls apart, is the company breaking together? We look very closely at these kind of things, the same way as investors do. Yeah.
0: Okay. Thanks. Uh, maybe let's dig deeper uh, here a bit. Um, so maybe you can give some some more examples about on what what uh, to watch. Um, so let's say I have uh, 50 uh, 50 people start up. Uh, tech startup delivering some, uh, some, some interesting uh, and unique technology product. Uh, I have a CTO, CTO, maybe in-house development team, an agency supporting me and as an investor what are the factors, uh, how do we evaluate this company? You mentioned a lot about the financial and the, and the previous points but to simplify it, are there any areas that you look in a company and you give me extra point for that, and for that you give me like a you know minus, And I'm just wondering. On the yeah, yeah, position. that's a Do that's a, that's a good
1: point. Um, at the end, the product and service are most important, right? You look at the product and the services, and you see, okay, are these is the quality? How, how is the quality of this, right? I mean, the best is obviously, and that's why the problem is with B two C stuff. Everybody can be the end user, and everybody will use it. So everybody has an opinion about it. That's why we've <laughs> Foodora, I think, got a lot of money, and especially many fields in the B2C space, because at the end, investors and buyers, they're all humans, right? And they use a service. And when they think it's very convenient to have a one-click groceries to your door, then think it's a beautiful business. Why don't, why don't we give them 500 million to grow? And so <laughs> it's very tempting. But at the end, um, the, the product and service is super important, and the uniqueness, the uniqueness in the market, right, is the uh, does it meet uh, the needs of the customer? Is, is there, What a kind of product roadmap and development plan for the product is there? That's, that's the most important thing. Again, the technology stack, right? How is it built? Is it like a, a deep tech company really or is it just like someone uses, I don't know, Personio, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and stuff like that or like third-party uh, software? Um, it it makes a big difference uh, being a technology company and just using technology. So I think uh, one of the things is really the technology stack, uh, as mentioned before, right, the technological um, uh, needs that a company has if they're really well covered in house Then the team again, right, that's super important. Uh, Are these guys um, harmonic? Uh, Are they they complementary? Uh, Is there good chemistry? Is there leadership? And, and again, the market opportunity, right? The market opportunity, as mentioned, is it huge. What, what is really the, the, the target market? How big is it? Intellectual property again. What are the patents? What are the copyrights? I think extra points would definitely give you if it's, uh, it's also a real problem in the market, which has not been really covered, right? Strong and experienced team, super important. People probably already did a startup, uh, made some money, sold it. That's obviously very always in favor with investors because they feel comfortable. They basically think about, okay, this guy already made my money. Let's try it again. It's a bit tougher when you're doing it for the first time. On the other hand, if you have your new product and a great technology stack and a growing market with a good intellectual property, that works. I think on the negative side, right, if you lose the product and it falls apart on the first thing, I mean, the poor quality is a problem and you see, you have a great plan and you think, okay, I'm gonna have like, I don't know, 500 users um, um, every day, a new one, and then you don't have any users. That's a problem, right? And when you see also that the technology is very limited really inside the company and uh, poor financial performance, right? That's that's definitely a red flag. Legal issues, if employees sue you, that's obviously not great. And also if the company is, is completely indebted, that's that's tricky these days because uh, as that is, becomes expensive, that could be a big burden, yeah.
0: Okay. So let's talk now more about people uh, because the company is, is, is people, this is... Uh, mm-hmm super important and I'm just wondering like with your experience you have seen many companies and you want to help them for sure so do you assist your your clients uh, to help them build their in-house teams or hiring executives to improve their results or growth if you could explain a bit uh, how does it work like do you recommend something uh, sometimes rebuilding the leadership team because this is super difficult
1: I mean, obviously, these are, these are tough decisions that need to be made by the shareholders. So, I mean, we're not consulted, we're not coming in and saying, we don't like you, you've got to go. But if if they ask us, and we're we're sometimes, I mean, being a bit with the role of a consultant, obviously we see where where there's a problem when people come to us, hey, what do you think? Obviously we have a big network, we can help um, the companies there. But I think um, the problem is always when there's poor performance or also lack of diversity can be a problem these days, skill gaps in general, right? I mean, when you want to grow a market or go to a country where you don't have anybody and you see very quickly if there's no cultural fit, that's also a problem. But at the end, I mean, we're not there to to, um, recommend that people have got to go or something, we basically want to help the people that, that, that are there um, to, to achieve the best. But uh, that's something often that shareholders uh, think about and we know very closely. And they ask us, do you know anybody who could lead this and this company? And obviously, we're happy to, to get a recommendation of some sort in order to, to make the company more successful. Yeah.
0: But sometimes you need to make uh, tough decisions, right? Like even at your business or at your company, sometimes you need to terminate uh, the 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 people, the fire people. They don't feed the organization, or you see that if you don't do it, this will, uh, this this will not uh, help you with the growth. It 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 uh, you know it it can be counterproductive. So I'm just wondering, are there any factors that you see or? Uh, That you say like hey if uh, something like this or this or this is happening this is the person that for sure we need to hire because those decisions you need to do fast
1: yeah i think from my experience i mean uh, nearly 20 years in banking i can tell you it's all about the performance first and foremost performance is super important if an executive in any field these days is not meeting the expectations um, despite having been given the necessary resources and the support then it's a problem People are very easy to measure these days and uh, they look very... At the end, you know it, right? It's all about the numbers. But then even if the numbers are good and the behavior is not good, I mean, <laughs> I think the standards have really, really, really changed a bit. Uh, is, I think you, you nowadays people are much more sensitive when it comes to like behavior of uh, of leadership. You need to be very, very straightforward and and, and clean and you cannot just have when you look at like how, how probably some German companies were run in the '80s, or when you look at the uh, Wall Street of the '80s, that's completely different to now. I mean, everybody has to be much more considerate, and I think behavior is a, is a super important factor to consider and how people are treated. And if it's unethical or something, that's obviously a completely red flag, right? Because reputation, as we now see uh, with the banking crisis, everything uh, in, in in many companies, and no one wants to work with. Um, companies that they don't uh, perceive as ethically correct—you saw uh, why the Uber CEO had to step down, stuff like that—it turns very quickly the, the 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 public, right? Also, cultural fit, right? I mean, it's, uh, if if an if an executive is not a good cultural fit, I mean, there's probably uh, it just doesn't work, right? I mean, I think that it can be what what's super important. But you re- realize very quickly is that employee morale and um super important and a negative employee morale can have a very negative impact on the company's culture and performance and people just want a nice place where they can work and do their stuff and it's super important that they're happy right uh, you also see when, when there's always constant conflict right i mean we uh, i think any company when you have conflicts it's not a good thing it needs to be solved and uh, sometimes when 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 people are the problem uh, that, that's obviously a big red flag but also the, the alignment with the company goals right it's super important and i think that's that people realize alignment of the employees together with the company goes. It doesn't. It's, it's something that we're in together, right? It's not about like the company needs to make the highest profit, and the employees needs to do the longest hours. Employees, I mean, what you don't want is like um, a, a standard um, kind of work environment where everybody is just doing their job and going home. We want people who are really. Um, liking what they're doing and you see this extra mile and I think that makes a big difference and I mean that's what we recommend also uh, shareholders when, when they talk to companies that we work with I mean it's very simple but I think it's, it works across across the different industries and uh, it's shifted a lot so I think it's it's um, it's very important these factors yeah
0: you mentioned banking crisis uh, I mentioned before the recession that started last year the last few years are pretty crazy and I'm just wondering about your opinion about the recession and how this will go. Like last few weeks, we saw the Silicon Valley Bank failed. Now there there are talks about the regional banks. So this is uh, at the credit shoes another thing. And I'm just always wondering, if it will be worse or. Or uh, we are just, you know, we will we will we'll finish this recession smoothly, and we will figure out how to deal with it uh, without a big crisis. What is your gut feeling?
1: Yeah, first of all, I think if that's a recession, I mean, recession isn't so bad because right now <laughs> i think uh, the recessions that i had in mind at least and uh, I, I mean i only didn't see so many in 1987 i was already born but there was stock market crash so it wasn't really affected by it but um, when you look at for example dot com crisis i was i think i felt much more panic also 2009 obviously i think uh, everybody who worked in banking was very much affected so i think uh, for Silicon Valley Bank and, and stuff like that, you can, really, you can really see how quickly nowadays these kind of things develop, because when you look at a bank, I mean, Silicon Valley Bank obviously is not a big player, never was in Germany, but it's a big bank in the US, and uh, they, they just had a huge inflow of money over the last couple of years, um, especially because they were just catering to these kind of growth, we see funded companies. And we um, know because we, for example, we're working right now on a project for uh, SVB Silicon Valley Bank is a stakeholder and basically is owed some money uh, from one company that is currently in distress and where we where we need to sell very quickly, and uh, it's, just, it's just obviously the the circumstances are not great, but it's a bit scary how how quickly things turn sour here, right? I mean, you heard of, you hear the first rumors. I don't know, was it U.S. time, um, Wednesday afternoon? basically our time Thursday morning and then on Friday uh, the bank is closed and, and the state owns it. So, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I've never seen such a quick thing. Also, I mean, my former employer, Credit Suisse, uh, I think the bank has been around since 168 years. When I started there, they gave me a little book about the history. I think that book is probably going to be worth something soon. I don't I, I have to look up it or I still have it. But it's, it's just uh, one thing that you actually, that you have. I mean, the trust in this industry in general is everything. When people don't want to use something and people are against something, and people don't want to deal with somebody, then it's a big problem. And the public can be very harsh And nowadays with social media. Used to be before with newspapers, there was at least a day delay (laughs) where people were reading the news, discussing it by phone or whatever. So it was never that organized. I think now with Twitter and everything, people are just much more organized. And uh, when rumors spread, be it correct or false, uh, and panic takes over, uh, you don't want to be in the focus of that, that's for sure.
0: Great, thank you. I have two more questions for you, um, and one is related to your huge experience. Uh, huge experience, and I just wanted to ask you about your biggest lessons learned uh, in your career. Do you have some that you uh, that you could share what you have learned? Really? Yeah,
1: yeah. Look, I mean, I think. Um, what, what people come up, come up to me and ask me, hey, do you have this idea? Is this is this a great business idea? Should we do this? What do you think about this business? And I mean, from what I learned, and the funny thing is, when you look really back, there's really timing, is really everything. You look at like a couple of things, for example, and when you look at the dot com bubble, you see you probably remember webban and pets.com and stuff like that. And I think after that, all went sour. They were doing Harvard Business School, there were case studies about WebBand and Pets.com and how stupid investors were, what kind of money was was squandered there. And then you see, look at, look at stuff like Gorillas or, or Zooplus and you think that's exactly the same thing. In a, in a way, it's just like uh, now the, I think the time is more ripe, right? And... Um, it's just um, when you, for example, look at Boo.com, that's a book that I personally really liked at that time. Uh, when I was was a bit younger, it was about this fashion company which basically wanted to revolutionize fashion and basically have everything in the internet and you could look uh, uh, stuff up. But at that time, the the infrastructure wasn't there, and people didn't have like 5G or or everywhere. It wasn't Wi-Fi, wasn't quick enough. We're just ahead of their time. So often, I think business models you just need the right time, and probably something where people say this is completely ridiculous and that goes sour. Probably someone picks it up in ten years ago when the technology has completely evolved, and it uh, it can be something. So I think um, with the right execution and with a bit of luck, um, a lot of business models uh, can succeed. But it's a lot of hard work and uh, I, I don't want to like categorically say no to some business models when I know probably they don't work in the, ter- in the current environment. But on the other hand, I think um, just coming back to a bit more hard factors, also the importance of due diligence, right? You need to look closely in a company, right? You need to see the financial operations, the legal um, and regulatory compliance. You need to look at intellectual property, critical factors that could just impact the value of a transaction, right? That's super important because you don't want to, don't want to wake up and say, "Hey, why, how did we oversee this? Why is this happening, and why are they have a lawsuit here, <laughs> which which will cost the whole deal?" So that's that's one thing I learned. I think that's it's very important uh, to do the homework. That's why when, when we start working with a company, we first look at it like an investor would for for a certain period of time and basically look very closely uh, through the data room and, and and see that we that we that we find any red flags if there are any. And also communication is key, right? I mean, at the end, as an advisor, what we are we we are a bit, um, uh advisors to, to to our client, yes, but we always need to like communicate the complex information to the client. We need to like check with the um, with the different parties that the facilitation of communication is flowing right with the lawyers, with the accountants, with the other advisors. Sometimes you have a couple of guys who are basically slowing down a deal. You need to like push it. You say, okay, what's what's your problem? What what can we do to accelerate this? So that's a bit our job. Also, adaptability is key. At the end, I mean, I mentioned uh, the transactions that we do with SVB. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, we were still speaking to them like normal now. I mean, it's very hard. One part is working at HSBC. The other part doesn't really know where they work. So no one is really responsible anymore. And uh, it's super important that we that we adapt here. Um, transactions can be super complex and unpredictable. And um, you always need to be ready to adapt to the changing circumstances and really manage unexpected issues that may arise. That's why it's so important to be always reachable these days. I mean, forget normal working hours from nine to five. I mean, there's always something happening. Sometimes I come out of the gym at 11 o'clock at night. I nearly get a heart attack of what's going on now, but that's no problem. I mean, the good thing is you can also like solve it then from your computer nowadays from home, so that's okay. Uh, But in general, you need to be flexible, creative, and just to to be quick to think on your feet, right? But I mean, as an M&A advisor also, it's about building relationships, right? I mean, at the end, Clients don't come to us, we come to the clients. It's very rare that someone calls us. It would be for someone who listens, please give us a ring would be nice. But the reality is that we need to knock on a couple of doors to make us actually known because no one really thinks about our profession. It's not like people wake up and say, I would like to mandate an M&A advisor. That's not what people do. They don't even know what we do. It's more that they say, have this company, probably I want to sell it. Who who could be uh, of help here? So that's why it's super important that we build relationships early on with uh, with the relevant companies, with clients that we already have, because the best clients are repeat clients, obviously, then partners, other stakeholders, private equity, as you say, venture capital community, who can basically help us um, to, um, to, to, to guide us towards uh, the mandates. That's super important. And at the end, trust, right? They need to know, okay, there's a safe pair of hands. Uh, who, who can help us uh, facilitate this transaction, do this fundraise, do this M&A transaction, have the right um, strategic bias at hand, so our network. On the other hand, also continuous learning, right? I think we learned a lot um, uh, in the past about how, how digitalization can a- even improve our business, right? Not only regulations and the best practices and basically um, uh, striving to learn more and, and driving this further. We learned a lot, I mean, um, in the past when we looked very closer Uh, from different industries, how how online lead generation actually works, right? I mean, you know it better than I, but at the end, I mean, uh, yeah, there's only so much you can know from your network. Uh, On the other hand, online lead generation is a powerful tool, linked in these days. I mean, everybody uses it. I mean, sometimes I don't even want to look because people are so like, uh, bragging about it, it's a bit, we're not in America, right? So it's very hard to, I think, uh, sometimes uh, uh, really um, uh, listen to it. But on the other hand, I think it's very practical. If you want to make connections, you see where the people who who you have in common and stuff. It's very important, this online lead generation, that, that we're a bit more actively in the market, uh, going out to people, than when they want to sell your company, that they basically find us a sex number, uh, click on the Google ad and then basically come to us. Also, I think um, digital tools make it a lot easier also for our juniors. When I, when I remember when we started out, when I started out in banking, it was a lot more manual labor in the sense that you didn't have many templates. You had to do everything by yourself. I mean, when you talk to older people, um anywhere in the industry they were basically doing charts by the newspaper and then using like a uh like a little um uh, like a little pencil in order to do their charts so I think we came a long way from that but on the other hand it's um it's it's just it's just super important also um for example we lo- we now look at the stuff like using AI for for creating content and uh, as mentioned digital tools for execution just to make things more efficient and also more fun for the people to work with for them to focus really on the stuff that they that they want to do yeah
0: the last question that I have is if there are any books or articles or papers or resources that have been particularly useful uh, to you as a leader uh, to help shape you.
1: Yeah. I can recommend a couple of books that I really personally enjoyed and for example I mean it's one of the books where everybody where I once read it's a book that many people bought but not many people actually fully fully read. <laughs> I'm not talking about the Bible. <laughs> I'm talking about uh, the, the Steve Jobs biography, which is a huge book. But nowadays, I think there's no excuse because you you can carry it around on a Kindle or on the iPhone. And I personally actually read it digital at that time because I, obviously you I didn't want to carry a book with 700 pages. But it was definitely worth, worth the read because it's just a very interesting story of how this guy basically created all this. It's a bit also a bit negative in the sense that because he wasn't really a nice guy. And I think one of the problems that the book created was that it's seems to be okay to be not a nice person and being a leader. And I think that's something that probably uh, it's not a good message. On the other hand, it's just... Personally, I really enjoy reading about these kind of biographies to see how people um, basically started out and where they ended and what kind of coincidences uh, led to all this. And another one, and I hope I hope you don't laugh, is basically (laughs) the biography of Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Total Recall, which was published in 2012. I mean, I was never a big fan of Arnold Schwarzenegger, to be frank. I always thought it was a kind of a stupid bodybuilding guy. But it was—it's just a fascinating book about this guy who started out in Austria and then became basically the governor of California, Merida Kennedy, right? I mean, what's the odds of that? So it's—I think it's a very interesting read, and you—I uh, think you get a good look into his soul in this book because he describes basically how he how he came first to to Vienna and to Munich and then to uh, for a short period even he was in London and then he basically came to the U.S. and he lived this body-building uh, lifestyle and he made his first million in real estate and then also like selling. Um, beauty products and nutrition for bodybuilders and stuff. And he's really a, a crazy, crazily success driven guy. So sometimes a bit much um, when he doesn't go to the funeral of his, of, of, of his father and so on, because he has a contest and stuff. But it's, I think it's, it's, it's very interesting to read. And I think it tells you a lot about how, how, life, can, how life can pan out, especially if you're younger. And another thing that I can recommend only really to, uh, to people, uh, probably a bit more deep here, uh, Stefan Zweig, I don't know if you know him, is an, an Austrian writer. And he basically, um, uh, he writes about, it was, it was one book that he wrote, The World of Yesterday, where he described shortly before his death, I think it was 1942 or something, um, about how basically Europe um, has now, um, how they interacted before and the dangers of uh, all of the uh, the the world wars and so on because he looks basically back and brings basically this this um, society back to life because when you look back we always think okay it was different times but at that times people were also traveling to Paris they were down in London you know they were even going to New York and they, uh, it was normal cities right it was normal industrial cities everywhere in Europe and after that they still had basically a crazy war which nearly brought the whole of Europe down so I think that's something that we always need to keep in mind that I think we have right now should appreciate and not not uh, go away that quickly. On the other hand, I mean, uh, coming back to a lighter topic, The Lean Startup, which I also liked, uh, Eric Ries, I think that's a good book, Practical Approach to Starting and Growing a Successful Business, I think that's good. And obviously, apart from your podcast, which is great, uh, congratulations on that, I think the, the Harvard Business Review IdeaCast is pretty good. Um, uh, there's a lot of interviews with business leaders, authors and experts on topics like uh, what is uh, the secret of happiness and stuff, and I think it's definitely uh, worthwhile. So that's why my recommendations for in on, on this regard, yeah.
0: Great. Thank you, Niklas. Uh, we have covered all the questions that I got. Uh, it was super interesting talk uh, with you today um, to have the perspective from the investor advisor side, uh, which is hard to get. <laughs> and, and those are the things that you don't write really enjoy in the books. Uh, in a few points I, I really enjoy. So thank you for your time today. Thank you. It was great. Perfect. Follow Matt on LinkedIn and subscribe to
1: the Better Tech Leadership newsletter.